Welcome to Talking About Midlife, where we talk about life living in a female body in our midlife. We talk about health, love, relationships, our inner world, aging, death, motherhood, and what it means to be a human at this time in the world. I am Kelly Sterling, and I hope you enjoy listening to these stories that I'm sharing. Hello, and thanks for listening today. Today, I have my very good friend, Sasha Ostada here. She is a coach as well. And we wanted to talk about, really about the whole kind of masculine, feminine conversation, but there's a lot more to this than those two labels. So thanks for being here today, Sasha. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure, as usual, to be able to share this space with you. Oh, thank you. And and I love talking to Sasha because we often have these great conversations where we talk about all these things and we segue and go off down different um, pathways. So bear with us because that's the way the conversation will probably be. So, so Sasha and I both experienced probably more in the last, sort of one to two years, a lot of frustration around a lot of stuff we've seen in social media around and also people receiving messages, oh, you're too in your masculine or you're too in your feminine. And I guess that frustration for us has both has come because both of us have strong somatic training, right, so strong understanding of the nervous system and, and we're looking at... Um, what's been labelled as masculine feminine thinking, actually it's just human behaviour. So do you want to talk, I mean, you start the conversation around like what's come up for you and, and applying your somatic lens and we'll just go from there, I think. Thank you. So oh, for me this is a topic that really boils my blood because I see so much misinformation going on that ends up being really limiting and harmful mm. and and it comes from the from the idea of how we are either masculine or feminine or that we have both inside of us right like all oh, people have both and, and feminine and masculine energy and i wonder do we mm. aren't we just like people experiencing the world the best way we can with the mm -hmm. tools that we have and the thing is masculine and feminine become weaponized yeah at the end of the day it's a very dangerous weapon where we don't really move in harmony uh with the ideal of that ideology uh, sorry for the redundance but uh, we we end up becoming uh, either aggressors because we use it to be to be cruel even towards ourselves. Yeah. Uh, because we are replicating a system of beliefs that have caused so much pain in the world. Just when you tell a person that when she's being 
sensitive, emotional, uh, open, vulnerable. Mm. She's in her feminine. And when a man is being um, ambitious, goal-driven, protective, he's in his masculine. Mm. Or that a woman that is being ambitious is in her masculine and a man Mm. that is being sensitive is in his feminine. Mm. We are just replicating the same ideology that has kept us down for a long, long time. And at the end of the day, we are missing out the point, which is one, that we are complex human beings with complex emotions, with complex ways of living life and and perceiving the world. And that there is a confirmation, there is a bias in Mm. that perception. Mm. Meaning that uh, if we start speaking about the feminine as gentle, sweet and kind and loving, uh, that's what we see. That we that's all that we see we're just yeah. it, it's a confirmation bias we're just confirming that women are gentle emotional and incapable of rational thought of action of uh, at the end of the day we perceive the world or, or objects not just for what they are but for what they aren't yeah we know that a circle doesn't have angles yeah and we describe a circle not just by how round it is but what for what it doesn't have which is angles so when we start doing that to the idea of of masculine and feminine uh, we end up limiting the scope of of existence and expression that we have as human beings and yeah. that is hurtful for everybody yeah yeah and what is possible you know yeah. it narrows the experience of how people think they can show up in the world yeah. Yeah. I mean I I've had clients who I've worked with who I am working with who say oh you know I'm too too much in my masculine and I'm like okay well, what is that what does that mean to you? How does you know? What do you look like? Where does that come from? And I always look at it through their nervous system. And then as we get going, I sort of usually find oh, they're just like there's a lot of sympathetic charge there. There's a lot of fight and flight, and they're just on a lot of the time, which makes so much sense to me for a number of reasons because the world that we live in is on all of the time. Yeah. A lot of workplaces are obsessed with productivity and measure people in productivity. And so there's, if I'm not producing something, I don't feel safe in my body. So my body is on all the time. Maybe when they were growing up, there's a strong sense of identity formed around their achievement orientation. Yeah. So if I'm not outputting a whole lot of stuff all the time then I don't feel safe there's a whole lot of different reasons behind it and it's not that the feminine I mean we talk about the masculine being doing and the feminine being well yeah but the feminine is so many different things which you and I will talk about in this podcast it's actually their nervous system's just like in a constant state of high arousal and this could come back from childhood so um, and, and 
the fact that we learn that women should be or the feminine should be more um, kind and gentle and soft brings mm. them back to being uh, fawning and freezing. Yes. Brings them back to being in hypo arousal. Yes. Women are expected to be in hypo arousal. Yes. Ma- masculine, in quotations, energy is expected to be in hyper arousal. Yes. And to be in fight Correct. or flight response. And at the end of the day, it is so unhealthy to be constantly in, in any either. of those extremes. Yeah, 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 like yeah. We cannot just live in one of those extremes all yeah. the time. It's, yeah. It's so uh, unhealthy. Yeah. And, and that these are all the, the beautiful design of our body. These are all responses that we have that we want to be able to access, but we don't want to be stuck in any of them. Exactly. And I think from a cultural perspective, you know, um, if I reflect on my own upbringing because I was born in the early 70s after that first sort of big wave of feminism and I and this is I know this is in Australia but you sort of mentioned that it's also in Mexico where you are where a lot of parents brought their daughters in particular up to like well you can have it all and you can do it and actually how you do that is you can be a bit like them and I know like no no shame or shade on my parents they were great but they were like you can do it you can do it (laughs) whatever you want and um you, you know it so a lot of this is the way I was brought up but a lot of my friends so we would call them tomboys in Australia like little girls that were like competitive and sporty and you know doing all that can compete with guys and so I noticed I used to be in a red tent group probably like 10 years ago maybe with some women my age and some old women who were older and they mentioned to me I remember so so in the early days of that feminist wave when they were working, and this is when, you know, sexual harassment was kind of rife in the late 70s and early 80s, that they would just give it back to the guys just as good as they got. So they felt like to, to, be, to be able to function, compete and thrive, and this is more I'm talking about corporate type of scenario, world of work, that they would just behave the same way. And so, you know, that was the way that we brought up. So our nervous systems get kind of wired around that orientation and that feels comfortable and safe. And so as time changes and, you know, we look at popular culture cues of, you know, what is acceptable in terms of, you know, social media now, what is admired in terms of female bodies, you know, that changes a lot of the time. I have also noticed that many of my clients or people that I know constantly come with the complaint that their partner is not in their masculine. Yeah. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why there is such a bounce back of the masculine man, you know, the the alpha male, whatever those those activists now create to be the, the strongest. Like they just go and create new hierarchies of alpha-ness. <laughs> the next thing is the Super Saiyajin Ultra Plus, or I don't know whatever they invent next, but they, they constantly want to 
show up as more masculine. Yeah. And one of the, or, or masculine again in quotations, their description of masculine. And then they say that women want that. And many women say that they do. Mm-hmm. And I've been noticing that, uh, especially from women that behave the way that you just described, that are tired of being tomboys, of being yeah. in charge, of yeah. being the ones that are that are constantly getting things done mm-hmm. and doing the things that men used to do before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that suddenly say, oh, I need a man in his masculine so that I can stop being in my masculine and I can just relax in my feminine. Mm-hmm. And every time they say that, I just think to myself, oh, so you want a functional adult so that you don't have to do all the adulting. So exhaustive to be yes. the one doing the, the, the adult The thing. adulting, the emotional adult, adulthood, yeah. right? And, yeah. and I tell you what's really interesting. I don't know what stage of life that you notice, but as you know, I'm kind of big in midlife menopause stuff. So the whole midlife transition for all genders is very much about moving from First, adulthood, which is driven by ego, establishing your career, family, you know, we think things we think we need to have because it's external in. Mm-hmm. Um, to second, adulthood, which is more purpose-driven, soul-driven, like come back to the truth of who you really are. What is it that you desire? It shows up by a lot of people um, just wanting to be able to be themselves. Like yeah. the real, like not having to wear the masks that we wear at work or all the different other places that we show up. But one of the biggest callings for it is emotional adulthood. So yeah. learning to be comfortable to express a wide range of emotions. So what you are saying really resonates with me and I see it too with a lot of my clients. You are spot on. They're wanting them to be an adult. <laughs> And the thing is, they keep calling that being masculine, but that's not masculine. That's just being an adult. adult. Doing the things that need to be done, not needing to be mother around, Mm -hmm. and being able of holding their own selves and their own two feet and not having to be dragged around the house to do the things that need to be done. Yeah, Those are basic living skills. Those, Those are basic skills that are not gender-based and actually most of the time men have been socialized to not develop them Uh, so our request as as people that have been having to carry all that weight on our shoulders many times is dude I just want to be able to relax and not carry the whole mental and emotional load and financial load and to be able to have a partner that goes shoulder to shoulder with me but since we don't have a language for that we end up calling it masculine and feminine that is so true and this might be a good place to talk about polarity and the, the system in the relationship so we we want this, we, we think it's the this polarity of masculine and feminine. Like we're, you know, we're in a social system of two in a couple, right, and we're going to have this push-pull dynamic. It might be masculine and feminine. It might be give-receive, right, but we will always have this polarity as you would get in a magnet, like a plus and a minus charge, 
because that's the way we have it with our friends, we have it with our kids, you know, in a family of four, you'll have like system dynamics of four going on. All you have to do, and I'm going to give you a personal example, when you can see this push-pull, give-receive, masculine, whatever you want to call it thing going on, when you realise what role you are taking up in the system, oh, I'm doing all the adulting. So if I'm doing all the adulting and mothering him, of course he's going to behave like childlike in certain things. And that feels weird because I'm not his mother, I'm his partner. All you have to do is do one thing differently because that is enough to make a change in that circular pattern of the system. So I'll give you an example. Uh, Some years ago, I'm thinking maybe eight, my husband... I'm not sure what precipitated this, but he wanted to help me more with school. The, the sort of, I was doing all the kind of school interaction. My kids were little. They were in like the junior part of primary school and he wanted to help more, be more involved. And I was like, great. There was a part of me that was like terrified to let go because I was thinking, oh, my God, things are going to fall through. Like I'm on top of everything. I've got it. And then I realised, oh, no, this is just my ego and fear in me that are not letting him step up and help me. Meanwhile, I was getting resentful at him for not helping me. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to do that. And so I just let go. And he didn't really ask me many questions. It was all a nice thought in his head at the time. And so I went, okay, you also need to pay attention. We have a, a portal on like a web portal thing where the school puts all the announcements, whatever. You just need to pay attention to a lot of stuff and what's going on there. Um, I'm going to let you play the dominant role, like in terms of being across everything. And I will just be here filling up because you want to take over. Okay. Heaps of stuff fell through the cracks. That's okay. He was learning. Right. And then after six months, I was like, well, we missed a couple of big things. Like, you know, when kids um, have to do dress up day because it's book week or something like that. My kids didn't really care that much. They were okay with, you know, not wearing their costume to book week. It was fine. But, but what actually came out of that after that six months of like him wanting to be in charge of all of that was like, actually, we work so much better as a team. And just kind of both being across and saying, hey, can you do that and I'll do this. And as we've got, you know, this is like 15 years later um, and we've kind of both been through our midlife, big midlife sort of transition and kind of being honest about our own stuff and done our own healing work is, you know, sometimes one's busy and not the other and one has to take up the role of kind of being in lead and we've learned how to kind of, change those roles and be really flexible about it and keep an eye on each other and who's doing what and, oh, did you see that email where they have to do that? Oh, no, I didn't need it. Um, Yeah, so it just basically took me changing a pattern of not being a control freak, quite frankly, and letting him have a go and then him going, oh, actually, this kind of needs both of us. And so we've kind of worked out this nice way of being fluid about it. And, you know, depending on our workloads, what's going on, who's doing what, we just now kind of juggle both. 
And I think in partnership. In partnership. But it's a, it's we're truly collaborative about how we deal with it. We talk about stuff about, you know, do we both need to go up to school to talk to the teachers, which we often do if something's coming up, or you know, can one handle this, can one handle that, can one handle this kind of you know, and just constantly communicating with each other based on, or, you know, you deal with this stuff and I'll deal with that. And it just works, right? Because we, we, we're partners, we're collaborators. We are constantly talking to each other about stuff. One of the blessings of the pandemic is obviously people being able to work from home a lot more. And I always worked from home anyway, is that we just go for a walk every morning. And sometimes at night as well. But we talk about all of this stuff as well as, you know, what's going on with our kids, their moods, you know, have you noticed this, have you noticed that? So it's actually a really how we're feeling ourselves, checking in with each other. But bringing it back, it took me looking at it through a systems lens and going, oh, what is our, what is the circular pattern here that's going on? Because you can't change. It's really hard to change that circularity one of you has to notice it and say, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to do it differently. And this yeah. is what I'm going to do. So uh, I love that you mentioned the circularity and the system because systems are so different in, in different parts. I found that here in Mexico. Yeah. Um, the system works in a different way. For me, breaking the system was not about me letting go. Yeah. It was about me lashing out and yeah. saying, dude, this is not a fair partnership. I am not getting uh, the same energy that I'm giving. I am not being supported. I, I, and I just really wanted to, to uh, signal the word help because that's one of the things that I had to learn to stop to saying. So you you still did you still changed your role though. So you see the role exactly. that you were taking up in the system, but your patterning was different, your circularity. Exactly. But your your changing your role is like I need this, like bringing yeah. it to his attention. And, and lashing out was so important, and noticing the system outside us because that that's the tricky part. We are not just a couple. We exist within a broader context. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that's so important to see because the, many of the issues that we deal with as individuals are reflections of the bigger system that, that pushes those ideas. Absolutely. Everything exists within context or multiple contexts and because they're cultural and they absolutely influence what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, that is so important to, to notice that. That's why just mentioning, recognizing the pattern. That's the so pattern, important. the pattern dynamics, yeah, and just seeing yeah. the circularity of it, like, oh, I do this, you do this, I do this. So you can say I want him to be more masculine or, like, I, I could have looked at my partner and said, you know, you're being lazy, you're being this, you know, I was getting pissed off. But I just went, oh, I'm doing, like I'm taking up this role in the system. I'm doing all of this. So if I just kind of go, I'm doing this, I'm going to wind it back a bit and I talk to him about, I don't want to give you some space where you can step in, right? Yeah. You looked at it and you went, I'm doing all of this. 
boom, I'm going to stop, you know, this is what I need from you. So you can do this. So different intervention, but still calling out the pattern in the system. Exactly. And I find that for that recognition of the pattern is so important to stop using terms that carry such a confirmation bias, like gender terms. Yeah, That's why it's so important to stop calling it feminine and masculine. Because if I said, oh, husband, I, I want you to be more masculine, which is a conversation we had at some point early yeah. on, many years ago. The, the result was the opposite of what I was needing, because he went into all of these groups of, of masculine activism. Not uh, Gladly, there, there wasn't uh, incels back then. So it was a different kind of, of masculine work that he did. But still, it was a work that separated instead of unifying. Yeah, it recognized men, it. Yeah. Yeah, that put men in a whole different level from women. Oh, women are like this and women yeah. are like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that hurts because the truth is that we are not one or the other. And the, the more we keep separating one another and putting masculine traits uh, or, or human traits in the basket of masculine and female tra- and, and other traits in the, in the basket of, fem- of female, mm. we are creating division. Division. at the end of the day, no man wants to be called feminine and no woman wants to be called masculine. Uh, it's deeply weaponized against us because that's when they say, oh, a woman that is in her masculine gets up tired because she, she eventually burns out for trying too hard to go against her nature. It's being weaponized. Mm. That, that's one of the arguments that they are giving, that, that all of this alpha whatever and all of the fem- female empowerment um, polarity coaches are using yeah and neo-tantric and, as well a lot of neo-tantric yeah. stuff like the masculine does this and the feminine does this the masculine is this and i'm like uh hang on for one minute there right yeah. human and and yes female bodies have different hormones and male bodies have different hormones and hormones do impact on your autonomic nervous system. So they will drive behavior. There's no doubt about it. Let's be real. However, at first and foremost, it's human behavior. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it is as simple as that. I don't feel why the need to keep defending those points so fearlessly. So Fiercely, when at the end of the day, people has been harmed by that division. Mm. I find that telling people that that emotions are feminine have caused such a painful life experience to men. Yeah, yeah. And in response to women. Because then we have to deal with men that have never, ever approached an emotion other than anger, yeah. which for whatever reason, they don't call an emotion. So <laughs> unless a woman is feeling that, then she's being irrational and crazy. So it, it's harmful. It just cre- keeps replicating a hurtful system. And what we need to do to break that system is to stop 
the confirmation bias of calling it feminine and masculine and just yeah. to start recognizing that humans have emotions humans have drive and ambition humans have uh to work together with others in community to support one another all of those are human traits that are going to help us thrive humans can't all- be on the go 24 7 they need rest and downtime bodies need bodies need good sleep to recover psychologically and physically and they need rest like it's just a human need yeah absolutely absolutely i feel like at the end of the day it's just about going back to our humanity and removing the labels of gender and they say it's not gender, it's energy. No, it, it's gender. Gen- it's gender. It's been genderized. Yeah. Um, I, I was just saying to you, you know, I'm reading the Sophie Strand book, The Masculine, sorry, The Flowering Wand. So she's an environmentalist. It's really great. She's also neurodiverse. I just love her lens on the world or the multiple lenses she has on the world, and I'm learning a lot. But one thing that um that she's brought up is joseph campbell's archetype of the hero's journey which really underpins a lot of popular culture stories like a lot of our even leadership development tools a lot of them base themselves on the hero's journey in terms of our own learning journey about ourselves and who we are and i remember years ago because I used to be the head of leadership for a big bank looking at this thinking uh I don't really think this applies to women I don't think this applies to people who don't identify as a male but I'm gonna go off and explore that but the way that she has talked about it and I'm really interested in your view is that it just offers like one view which is a very white masculine view of how person approaches the challenges of their personal growth journey in life so it offers a very limited narrow story and people try and adapt themselves because we see it in movies it's all books are based on it like there's a lot of stories about it um which really resonates with me and she was saying you know if we used why can't we have multiple stories why can't we use the uh, model, the mental model of the forest and the plants and all their different stories or anything to do with nature because it's diverse and there's different ways that it grows and has different function in the system. How does that land for you, Sasha, when you hear that? I love it. When when you mentioned that book or you, you shared a piece with that with me about that. I love the part where, where they mentioned what would happen if instead of the journey being about the hero having to prove himself worthy of uh, the love of the princess or the queen or whatever whoever he's rescuing, we we took another approach. We took a, a, an approach that was not based on that need to be res- to be the rescuer, to be the savior, to having mm. to constantly prove oneself. And I feel like that changes the game so much because then we see 
that there are ways of living our own mythology mm -hmm. that can be about just knowing our worth for being born, existing in community, not having to be the center of attention and earning something and having to be the one that shows up to be the best hero, the, the mightiest, the strongest. And instead becoming more communal, more making our thought more community oriented. Mm. I feel like I, I love the approach of Kelly Beals. Um, I, I keep mentioning her yeah, yeah, yeah. so like often her because work. she changed a lot my perspective about the masculine and feminine. And she said, what if we stop speaking about it in terms of masculine and feminine and start speaking about it in terms of feminist as a political system that creates community. Now, in parentheses, there are many kinds of feminism, but yeah. this kind of feminism is intersectional and it's it's ecological and it's based on creating community. So what if we st started making it more about feminists and patriarchy? Yeah. So the patriarchal ways of seeing the world that have been harmful, that keep creating division, um, competition, keep creating a sense of, of entitlement and a sense of, of um, violence and yeah. rage because yeah. they see those as attributes of the archetypes of the warrior, which are the archetypes of the uh, of Joseph Campbell's Campbell, yeah. uh, hero's journey, right? Like yeah. he goes through the warrior, the magician. What if we stop? Yeah, the four, I can't remember the book that talks about the, the lover, the, the, yeah. the, the lover, the magician, um, the warrior, and the, I don't remember the other yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I've got the, there's a book written on it. I can't remember the name of it. But um, yeah. yeah, he talks about the yeah, four yeah. major archetypes. Yeah. Yeah, and the king. The king, yeah. So what if we stop looking at the world from that perspective that uh, and not call it masculine, but call it patriarchal, because mm. that is a system that thrives on those archetypes of yeah. war and on dominance and on the use of women to as, as a trophy and on this manipulation. Like I can see those four things as the four archetypes mm. in their shadow aspect. Mm. Uh, and instead we started creating a consciousness of community and horizontal support mm. where everybody's just as important, where everybody's an important piece of the story, like an ecosystem mm -hmm. where each piece is thriving in their own. When we have all have a role like, in the system. Yeah. Exactly. Where we have different systems working in different ways, all of them being part of a bigger ecosystem. Mm. Yeah, I really like that. I re I love her work and the way she thinks about it. Um, and yeah, like Sophie Strand, you, this you'll love this. In her book, she talks about the tarot and and what the tarot offers in terms of all the different pathways. And she says, actually, I just want to gift that to the world because, you know. 
card will come out and it'll offer you a perspective of looking at what is what is going on but actually you might draw four cards and each of those four cards tells a story but actually those four cards together tell a story of what is coming up and if you think of it from that perspective you know there's multiple multiple pathways of the journey and what might be coming up and what if we could which I think you're saying the same thing really um what if we could look at it as that as well yeah does that if you're listening and you don't know Sasha is amazing at tarot readings and I highly encourage you to go have one with her but yeah I mean all of that makes sense doesn't it at the end of the day uh it's about stopping the separation and creating unity we are not able Mm. to thrive if we keep separating i know that there's a desire to understand the individual and for many people the ideas or the labels of masculine and feminine help them understand individuals but in reality it's just promoting separation. But if we went through, uh, through a whole different journey in which we toss aside those labels that have been used as weapons for such a long time mm. and started reinventing being a human. And I see that this generation uh, is doing that so yeah. much. Yeah. I see more more uh, people who are daring to be gentle and soft and also strong and uh, one of my favorite people to follow on tiktok is a is a lesbian uh, lumber uh, that's, that's the name the ones that taught youth uh, lumberjack yeah 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 lumberjack oh yeah she's so so beautiful to watch because you see that energy that in other times would have been called masculine yeah but experience in such an embodied way to do yeah. something that everybody could do it doesn't need to have uh, been born a man in order to be able to cut good for your chimney right so she does that and everybody is, is enjoying just the view of this powerful radiant person uh, doing something that usually would have seen would have been seen as masculine yeah and then on the other spectrum and enjoying seeing men showing up with their nails painted speaking about emotional vulnerability and crying because they love their wives like there's this person that's called a speech professor or something like that and he cried because he was speaking about the beauty of his family so the the, the thing is when we're there to enter into those spaces without the the tag of oh he's been too feminine oh she's been too masculine yeah and yeah, just yeah. see people living their best lives exploring their their uh, emotional reality in a way that feels aligned to who they are then we see things that are really worth enjoying, that expand our own vision of what is possible to do and live in our own skin. Yeah, and I think also when you do have a reaction to something that is not, like reflecting, doing some self-inquiry and like taking care of your own nervous system and like owning your reaction, saying, oh, yeah. you know, I had a reaction. What, what is that about, right? 
So what part, because we're, we're so multifaceted as human beings, and I think that's really what you and I are talking about is to, to learn to be with all of our stuff and learn to integrate it all and, okay, well, there's something in me that's reacted to that and maybe it's an, a part of me that I've pushed away and disowned or, you know, which we would call the shadow and, you know, like to use it as instead of labelling and persecuting and judging to do some self-inquiry and go, oh, that's curious. I wonder what that's about yeah. in myself. Hey, um, tell me about that book that you read, The um, the Tragedy of Heterosexuality. We were talking a little bit about it before we started talking about because you <laughs> like we, we were sort of reflecting that so many things that came out in the 80s and the 70s, you know, which makes sense, right, because we just evolve and grow and we learn more about who we are as humans of how um, they've kind of like the Mars and Venus stuff, how it's weaponized a little bit and given us this kind of binary and gender-oriented view. So do you want to talk about that a little bit, about that book and what um, you learned when you were reading it? So, um, yes, I would love to talk about that book, but there's another one that I know that you would enjoy even, even more, that it's called Delusions of Gender. Oh. And... It's a great book because it explores the um, the tests and experiments that have been done and, and called neuroscience, but they mm-hmm. are not mm-hmm. really neuroscience. Neuroscience, they are actually just confirmation bias. Because then you have people, the, the scientists that were expecting that result, uh, say, oh yeah, sure. This just proves that men are are intelligent and women are emotional. And the truth is that it was it, it, it didn't mean that. When she explores each and every one of the of the experiments, she goes like, okay, if this didn't have the right kind of of uh, people, this this didn't have the right kind of test done. This didn't have the right kind of, uh, of scientific proof. So it's a very point after point uh, um, deconstruction mm. of what we have considered to be to be gen- gender neuroscience. So that one is particularly good and important. And it's a, it's a dense reading, but it's such a good one. Mm. And then the other one, um, the tragedy of heterosexuality speaks about how at the end of the day this wave of gender self self self-help books were meant to just replicate the same ideas from many years ago of women being emotional, mm-hmm. less intelligent. Uh, less capable of living, and men being intelligent, capable—you uh, know all the all the good things, right? Because how the female traits, and that's that's a part that it's particularly important, and it's mentioned in many of the books that I have recommended. Um, the female traits are seen as inferior. Mm. And that is particularly important when we are speaking about being in the feminine and the feminine way of energy or way of moving or whatever, we're speaking about traits that have been considered 
less than, mm. less productive, less human, and less uh, less important for for culture. That's why you have so many guys saying, "What have women done for culture? Culture exists because of men." Tell me <laughs> one thing that women have done in the name of culture, and then we see it, and it's like uh, giving birth to all of the men. Yeah, <laughs> where did you come from? The womb, my friend. Everyone comes from one place. <laughs> but it's because we have been conditioned to see that female traits are lesser yeah. and masculine traits are dominant. Uh, when we are thinking about a dominant factor, we are thinking about a submissive factor. Mm. And usually the one that submits, it's, it's weaker. Yeah. It's less uh, ca capable and, and that's what is not being told openly but it's really being told in between the lines and, and we mm. need to be able to read that so that we stop replicating that what the author of the the tragedy of heterosexuality tells is that many of these books um, of gender self-help have promoted a problem and then offer the solution oh my yeah, God. yeah women are so difficult to understand and i was just reading uh, <laughs> listening to a podcast that yeah okay you, you need to listen to that podcast it's called if books could kill okay and that uh deconstructs many of the books that have been in pop culture for a while so it takes one example of the book that we just mentioned the mm -hmm. women are from venus yeah, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Yeah, we all remember yeah. that book. Yes. <laughs> and there's this scene in which he, he, he says that he, uh, it, it's how he actually got this understanding of, of the world. He, his wife had just had a very difficult labor, very painful. Mm. Um, after five days in which she was in horrible pain, he went back to work. He was self-employed, so he didn't really need to go back to work, but he yeah. went to work. And his wife ran out of painkiller pills, and she asked her brother-in-law to tell her husband to bring some home. The husband got super late home, didn't bring the pills. And when the wife was in tears saying, dude, I needed the pills and you didn't bring them, he got angry. He was furious. He started insulting, you know, uh, being harsh towards her because she, how dare she be angry at him for not mm. knowing that she needed the pills. Mm. And when he was just about to, to leave the room in rage because how dare she, she asked for the uh, pills, yeah, uh, get angry at him uh, without justification. Hmm. She stopped him and said, listen, I really need you right now more than ever. I cannot go out and get them myself. Please just stand here and hold me for hmm. a moment and, and, and help me. And then he had this realization, oh, it wasn't hard. Once she told me exactly what she needed, it wasn't hard to do it. Yeah. I was like, dude, that's so Selfish. And that's the way in which we grew up thinking that communication between the masculine and the feminine, men and women, had to be that we had to explain things to them in a way that 
felt almost mothering like you know the woman was yeah yeah well I was thinking when you were talking it feels very childlike like there's a childlike yeah yeah, that yeah and And also that you know the poor like the guy the only emotion he knows how to express is anger he doesn't have (gasps) any other bandwidth for sadness grief you know shame whatever and so he you know his neurobiology immediately defaults to anger because that's the strong neural pathway through which he expresses his emotions yeah and the thing is we can create new neural pathways we certainly can yeah we just need to stop normalizing going immediately to that (laughs) response and saying no you can be a mature adult do the adulting and care for your wife that is going through her terrible pain after childbirth and do the thing without having to be asked for it. Yeah. That is being an adult. So when many, going back to the original point, when many women say, oh, I want my man to be more masculine, what they are saying is, I don't want to have to be his mother and tell him, listen, baby, please just hold me while I am hearing excruciating pain and don't get angry at me for asking you to get my pills and go and get my pills. Like that's another. And I don't need you to solve my problem. I just need you to kind of be with me and, you know, support me while I'm going through this. Whilst you're saying that, one thing that was coming up for me, I was thinking about women when they go through their perimenopause transition and um, I've had conversations with doctors. So this is just how, I guess what the point of this conversation before I go there, I just want to preface is how internalised a lot of this patriarchal stuff is in our systems and processes, policies, our medical system, et cetera. So um, Sasha was talking about, how females being emotional has been weaponized that they're lesser than. So one thing that I've noticed with a lot of women who I've coached who are maybe in senior executive roles in organizations that when they're going through their perimenopause transition, they feel big emotional swings. Well, this makes a lot of sense because our hormones do fluctuate a lot and they impact on the autonomic nervous system. So then you will get stuff coming up. You'll get old trauma coming up for healing that's the physiological process that is going on and then these women are rejected in the workplace because they're really emotional and irrational and I'm saying this with inverted commas and doctors prescribing them medication antidepressants HRT there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff because they need to stop being so emotional Hmm. and so one I I remember one conversation I had what if, think about the healing capacity of this transition and our body's innate capacity to heal and it is an invitation to focus on what we need to learn so that we can transition well into our second half of life. So sometimes people need to learn about their physical health and make some changes, right, to sustain their physical health in the longer term. Hormones up and down, yep, that's that's challenging. We acknowledge that. But what if, what if those emotions that are coming up, the anger, the sadness, the grief, are stuff that we have pushed down and ignored forever? And our body, with its incredible wisdom, is bringing it up because the impact 
that hormone, hormonal changes have on the endocrine system is they will bring up trauma or stuff where we have undercoupled. So that stuff we've disassociated from, frozen, blocked out, right? This stuff's coming up because our body knows how to heal, right? And this transition is all about coming home to the truth of you really are. So what if all those tears is the body saying, make friends with your sadness, make friends with your grief. And actually what would be better is letting the person experience that by giving them somatic tools, which is what you and I do, who support their nervous system, being able to hold that and not tip into the freeze response or, you know, what if that was actually a more supportive way so that so that she or regard doesn't matter how you identify because trans people can go through menopause, we know. So what if that person learned some somatic tools where they could meet that emotion, welcome it back in and expand their experience of the world and how they experience emotionally? What if that's the calling? Exactly. I love that. And that's actually um, what the book that I mentioned, The Illusions of Gender, ends up saying, like, okay, there might be differences, but what if these differences are meant to balance instead of just uh, of the other way around we having to change our world in yes. order to be to, to balance the difference what if the differences were meant to balance our reality yeah. women have hormonal changes have to go through very specific experiences that cis men don't have to go through yeah and therefore at the end of the day our body finds the way back to balance and that's when once we start going through menopause our nice girl facade and mask just stops we drop it it drops away yeah Yeah. because of the estrogen dropping that's what it does yeah yeah we just don't have the time the energy the 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 drive or or the inspiration either to be like nice girls and and be uh, trying to please our man in order to keep it. It's like, do you want to stay? These are the conditions. That's that's when women become less. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, less, uh, less uh, what's the word? Like we are not that easy to manipulate anymore that's why so many men keep looking for younger girls because they want to keep having the nice girl and the older we get the less nice girl we get and that's a big change and yeah it's scary. Well, one of my friends um I was talking to her one day she's a journalist she's very reflective she's a writer right at the end of the day but she said to me we're well, the same age so we've both been going through perimenopause, but I'm postmenopausal now. And she, this was about two years ago. She said, it's so neat how it kind of bookends. It's like you start menstruation and then the other bookend is menopause. I said, I know. And it's like you feel yourself becoming something when you're 11 and 12, you have this very strong sense of what you're all about. And then all of a sudden you start menstruation and the hormones kind of take over. And it's like you kind of do this detour for like 30 years and you know that's your fertile life and you have babies or you don't have babies but that kind of dry and then all of a sudden you come back and then what I experienced but a lot of women experience this is like 
oh my God, I feel like I'm becoming the woman I was supposed to be, the one that I thought I was becoming when I was 11. And how good does it feel not to have to be under the spell of estrogen anymore and like the fawning and the pleasing and that that drives. But also it's beautiful because it drives bonding and oxytocin and all these other things that we need to be mothers. And I also recall one of my best friends, she's about six years old, older than me. So when she (laughs) became postmenopausal, she goes, I don't know if it's like estrogen, but I'm just sick of all this mothering shit and I'm over it. And I was thinking, well, that's really horrible. Like I was a bit judgy. And and then when I got there myself, I was like, oh, the biological imperative to care, just it doesn't leave you. It, It is different. But that sort of compulsive need to kind of, mother and care it's just not there and you think come on kids hurry up and grow up a little bit will you and And so when you can look at it like that you think you're not going crazy because you're like oh it's just this okay well that makes sense why I'm feeling that way and it happens in the opposite direction with men totally so completely men start losing their their testosterone yeah. Like it's just their, their levels of the levels of testosterone drop yeah. and they start creating estrogen. Like like so they, they start just changing, like just see them being more homey and they want to be more nurturing. They want to spend more time with their kids. Like it's like this, it's like a crossover happens, right? And if you yeah. can navigate that in partnership at the same time and not get pissed off with each other, but actually see what is really going on. That is freaking powerful. Exactly. And that's and the that's midlife piece. We cannot call it masculine or feminine. We because can't. It's not like men become feminine or women become masculine. It's no, just, it's just a part of being a human. System. Yeah. Yeah. I'm moving into a phase where I want to do more of this. I'm moving into a phase mm-hmm. where I want to be mostly people like, I just want to freaking be myself. And I think that's, yeah. you know, what I articulated is when I, you know, that, the the self and the ambitions and dreams and wishes when I was 11 or 12 I'm like reconnecting with that like and it makes sense because that phase of our lives that first adulthood which is a lot of creation that's the phase where we're supposed to put our creative output out out into the world our life's work but also that's our drive to procreate really right yeah. And because that goes away. And so midlife is also about come back to the truth of who you are. Like, who are you? Yeah. Be that person. Exactly. And I see that um, culture pushes that away. That's why they keep totally. telling men, okay, no, you need to keep creating testosterone. Yeah, be a man. Be, be a man. Oh, man produce, no. produce, produce. Yeah. And the truth is that. I, I heard my husband just two days ago. He was doing the dishes uh, and making the food for the puppy and the cats. And, and he was telling me, oh, my God, I am enjoying this so much. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy to be enjoying this right now so deeply. And, and I was like, I know, right? You don't need to change that. I wouldn't want you any other way. I wouldn't want you to man up and be all, you know, alpha male punching your chest and that could be so anti-climatic at this point of my life. I want mm. that gentleness from my partner. 
because I have this this energy right now of creating, doing, going mm-hmm. after. Uh, I'm free. I'm taking back myself now in my midlife, and the truth is that I feel so happy that this is happening. Mm. That we can drop the other the other part, the other labels, and just start being us in that very gentle way of being because the thing that made me fall in love with my husband was that gentleness that yeah. softness yeah that it was his need to be testosterone like that he changed and shifted and when i speak about these roles of masculine and feminine i say it because i went through that it hurt me deeply it, mm-hmm. i had to do a lot of healing from those roles that we played along with for a long time Mm. and that were deeply painful and disempowering so Mm. of course I'm very happy to be in dropping the act at this point and to be able to just be back to being creative and uh, and ambitious while he's been caring and loving Mm. very beautiful very beautiful that resonates a lot with me and yeah I see it in my relationship I see it with a lot of my friends and just wanting to get out there and do their thing and what they're about and having more time and space in their lives and yeah and I think that patriarchal system just really narrows down everyone's experiences of how they think that they have to show up in the world and what they need to be and if we can kind of connect with the essence of who we are I mean that's kind of a gift at the end of the day isn't it yeah yeah it is yeah it's one of the most beautiful and rewarding things that we can do yeah I think that's a good place to finish yeah thank you so much (laughs) hey Sasha just tell us your website again um yeah so people can find you it's uh, Sasha dash ostara.com yeah and your instagram is is it sasha ostara sasha sasha ostara yeah yeah sasha underscore ostara yeah yeah i'll put it in the show notes because sasha's great she has so many amazing resources on her website and um and she's good at tarot she's good coach she's good many things very multi-talented lady (laughs) multi-hyphenate our sasha (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, and as you can see, I am deeply passionate about the the healing journey of yeah. going back through to our true self after the wounds of of a patriarchal culture. Yeah, that's a big, you know, your big thing. And I think, I mean, I'm definitely um, for sure. I probably don't speak about it as openly as you do. But that's my driving force, I would have to say, yeah. I think, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I see you. Like, I feel like at this time and age, we don't really have time for those fluffy uh, f- uh, feminine and masculine texts. So I'm happy to be able to have this conversation with somebody that has dropped those a long time ago as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I was born that way, but, you know. You, know, you get yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you so much.